First of the day, there you go. We're in Judges chapter 7 today. We're in the fourth message on Gideon, just the, looking at that character and the character study. And we are looking at um, God's man of courage, really is the theme of this section. You know, in the book of Judges, God continues to, to raise up people at key times to take on a big task of really calling a nation to repent and also um, by their actions delivering them from their enemy. And we see that over and over again throughout the book of Judges. And we find out one thing is that these people that God raised up to be deliverers, they weren't perfect people. They were people that were subject to all the like passions we are. Um, They are people that didn't always trust God fully. But God used them in spite of who they were. And often it was because they were just willing to trust him in faith. And I just say that gives hope for the rest of us, right? If we will trust the Lord today and and lean on him, rest in him, it's amazing what he will do with you and what he will do with me. Well, the book of James um, says this. It says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Lord, we come before you this morning thanking you for your marvelous grace given to us, your mercy. Thank you, Lord, you are the one that you have the ultimate plan for us. And we thank you for that, God. You are the one who knows our steps before we know them. You're the one that puts stops to us also. And Lord, we are grateful that we can come to you this morning and just acknowledge that, Lord, in the end, we will be with you in glory. And all this down here right now is but training ground. And we ask God that you would help us and teach us today as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about the plan of God this morning, and last week it was the faith of Gideon. And again, how God takes and he shapes... um, a man to do a great task but in the process of that it's really God's plan at work and we have to understand that a little bit more and that is a pattern throughout scripture where you find God taking people and he does things in his timing and his planning as such that you can't really boast in yourself you know uh, and, and that's the way it is. And sometimes we're kindly reminded in humility how weak and frail we all are, you know, and, and through various ways. But when you think about Peter, the apostle or disciple Peter, when he was just a fisherman, that's really what he was. He was out fishing and there he is. He's toiled all night and they've not caught anything. And all of a sudden this stranger, this Jesus appears and says, throw your net on the other side of the boat, you know. And this is after they'd fished all night. Here's this person telling him to throw the net, and he does, and he hauls in the greatest catch of his lifetime. And the plan was not to make Peter the best fisherman uh, ever, but it was rather to make Peter a fisher of men. 
And God was going to use that illustration of a breathing, living, trans, you know, here a net full of fish. He was going to use that to show Peter he had greater plans for him. I think of that when Goliath saw David coming down, and here's this little David, just a boy, really, compared to this giant of a man. And Goliath said, Come on down here, and the, the birds will eat your carcass. Goliath had big plans for David. It was that he was going to kill David. Instead, it was the other way around, wasn't it? And one little stone fell right into his forehead at the sling of David and took Goliath down. And uh, literally, David walked off that field as he held up the head of the giant. Now, that sounds pretty gruesome, but sometimes we make, we make plans and God has entirely different plans in that and you see that throughout scripture lots of different things in that well we're going to talk a little bit more about it and we have uh, in this section if you want an outline uh, we have the reality of the plan of God and there is a very much a very real plan and this deals specifically with Gideon but we're going to pick up on it and uh, use it for some spiritual application and uh, with us as well let's read verses 1 to 8 of Judges 7 Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Marah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink and the number of those who lap putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men and all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water then the lord said to gideon by the 300 men who laughed i will save you and deliver the midianites into your hand let all the other people go every man to his place and so the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hand and he sent them all uh, uh, the rest of israel every man to his tent And retained those 300 men, and now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. We find here an interesting kind of scene that unfolds, and it's a a plan that was a different kind of plan. And by the way, God's plans sometimes are different than ours, right? A lot of times they're different. Um, sometimes our plans coincide with what God has revealed and what he wants us to do, and, and that's part of that when we say, Lord, not my will but your will be done right and as we come in line with his plan it's like that 
But in this case, there probably has never been such a military tactic ever put in play since or before in any time in human history as the time of Gideon when God said, I want you to take these tens of thousands of men, 32,000 of them, and they're too much. I want you to whittle it down. And God told him how he was going to do that. That was part of the plan. He gets down to 300 And these 300 would face off really against thousands and thousands of Midianites. Certainly wasn't the way most people would come at trying to be victorious in a battle. And I just have to say that God's plans are not our plans. And God with even one person who is right with him and walking with him can do more than he can with thousands of people who necessarily aren't part of that plan. God is able to do mighty things in that, and we see that. It was different. And by the way, that's what Jesus said when Jesus was there praying in the garden. And you remember, before he goes to the crucifixion, he prays this way, Father, if it is your will, take the cup, this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus as God in the flesh had to pray in the time of need, and he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Because remember, he'd given over the use of his divine perfections to the will of the Father, even unto the point of death. That was part of God's plan. Now, who would have thought that that kind of plan would work, right? Because you think from the time of really the garden on, I'm talking about the Garden of Eden, You have Satan, who's there hunting down people. He's the great enemy. And he's trying to thwart the plan of God. The whole time. Every time there was the the Midianites showed up, or whoever else it was in that time, they were really coming to try to stop the plan of God. Now, they may not have been directly aware of that, but Satan sure was. He's the author of evil, and he's the author of all things bad. And he lives in this world Uh, and he is confined to it but nevertheless he is at work but god is greater and we see that through history the amount of persecutions that arose against jews throughout all of the course of human history and i think that just shows the the very fact that satan knows that his doom is secured but he knows that if he could slow it down he maybe do so by killing off the jewish people because he knew just like we know from the word of god that out of the jewish people would come messiah the christ and in doing so if he could just stop that and i think of that even in the last hundred years the millions of jews that have been killed and yet in, I think of like World War II and the Holocaust and all of those things that took place. And yet, has God's plan been stopped? No. The very fact that Israel is a nation today really says that God is still holding that nation together in spite of many that don't follow him. God is God. He's faithful. Lots of plans that we make, but ultimately it's God's plan. And by the way, it's not a plan that um, sometimes like we, we make our plans and they could be good plans, but they're not part of what God wants now or during that timing or maybe through us. My plan, the plan for my life might be different than the plan for your life. I think of the, the illustration in Acts chapter 16. You have Paul 
who is on this missionary journey, and he's in Asia Minor, um, and he says here, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Further into Asia, that's where they wanted to go, that's what they desired to do, but God said no. Now, is it because God didn't want to see people come to faith in Asia? No. Matter of fact, there would be many churches planted, and Paul would be instrumental in some of those later on in Asia Minor, and also John, the apostle, and other ones of the apostles who went out would go that direction. And we know more from world history, a little bit of the traditions passed down, that some made it as far into India and China, perhaps, and other regions like that. But for Paul, at that time, it was a no. He had a plan. God said, no, I have a different plan. And after they had come to Mysia, or Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. We have what we call the Macedonian vision. And where God said no, Paul said, okay, I'll obey. I don't know what the next step is, but I'm just going to keep going, move it forward. And God, by the way, can move people who are moving. If you have sat yourself down and saying, I will not, your, your favorite hymn is, I shall not be moved, right? Well, listen, he, he doesn't steer parked cars or you know, steer a, a boat that's not moving, right? With water crossing its rudder. You've got to be absolutely moving and hopefully moving in the direction God wants you to do. And he's able to steer us here and there. And that's what you see here. As he's going along, God said, nope, not that place. Nope, not that place. Nope. And then all of a sudden, the next step is revealed to him. And it's Europe. Not, that's where Macedonia is, all right? And he goes to Europe. And he's really the first missionary, as recorded here in the book of Acts, to step foot in Europe with the plan of evangelizing. Think about that. God was at work. His plan for the nations included that. And I'm glad for that. Most of my ancestors came out of that region. And I'm so glad because I look at it and I think, Lord, you're good. You were gracious to my ancestors that the word of God would be passed on to them and then later passed on and passed on and passed on until it came to me came to you thankful for that in judges chapter 7 that chapter we were in in verses 12 to 14 it says this now the midianites and the amalekites all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude and when gideon had come there was a man telling a dream to his companion he said I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And that was exactly what was going to take place. Not that the, but the, the vision that is seen here is something very humble. A barley loaf, right? A loaf of bread tumbling down into a great camp of Midian. 
and it hits a tent and it falls. Now that sounds like really kind of weird dream. You might think he ate too much pizza and barley maybe. I don't know. But, but it was God that gave him that. It was divine revelation. And God was speaking to that man in his dream. And he comes and he was faithful to tell what God had revealed to him. And he tells it to Gideon. And here's Commander Gideon. Commander of tens of thousands of men. But now he's been likened to a barley loaf. See, that's the kind of person God can use. Not, not the commander, you know, at the top of his game, but rather the guy who realizes I'm nothing better than a barley loaf rolling into the camp. God was going to use the humble Gideon as a man of courage, and the sword of Gideon indeed would deliver a nation, but it wouldn't be through their power of numbers or strength. It would be in humility. God's plan is like that. And by the way, it's not a plan that we're without any, any knowledge. This is a good illustration of it. As Gideon is thinking about this whole process that has just taken place, he's gone from 32,000 warriors and their weapons and everything that goes with them down to 300. I don't know about you, but I think I'd be going, uh-oh, God, I think you're making a big mistake here. I mean, at least leave the extra weapons, right? No, these have all gone home. He's got 300 to work with, and that's it. And yet, God reveals to him the next step and says, you're going to be victorious. And he's like that. The Bible says this, he, but first of all, how he speaks to his children. And the, the first way he speaks to us is through his revealed word. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Great verse. Don't ever forget it. You want to know uh, how God wants to work in your life? Be in his word. Because I have discovered this, that while we're in his word, he reveals things to us. Sometimes if you had not been in his word, you would not know anything about it. Sometimes it's things we need to fix first. The Bible is like a mirror. When you look in it, you see yourself as you really are and it also shows us who god is in comparison to us and it hopefully makes us yield to him and we know that and then of course the holy spirit himself as well in acts 13 we have the first missionary team going out from the early church and look what it says as they ministered to the lord and fasted the holy spirit said now separate to me barnabas and saul or paul for the work to which i have called them The next step was clearly seen in that, that the Holy Spirit led them, clearly says, said to them that they were to do this and separate these men for service. Sometimes it comes through other believers. I think there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, godly counselors. There's lots of bad advice out there and you will always find people with bad advice. Search out for yourselves people who will give you biblical advice, godly advice, Maybe advice that comes born out of prayer. All of that. In Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who would later be that missionary that would end up in in places like Macedonia and further. And that Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, that was what he was doing. He was wreaking havoc in the church. And he was binding up Christians and putting them in jail. And he was consenting unto their death. And then he gets marvelously converted. He had to be humbled to do that. 
he finds himself blind, having been led in by his hand like a child into the city of Damascus. And there he is, having not eaten or drank anything for three days. And God reveals to a man named Ananias that this Saul is a chosen vessel to bear his name to the nations and before kings. Think about that. And Ananias was a little worried about that. He had heard about Saul. He knew what he was like. But then he turned around and he obeyed God. And he goes, and I love what it says. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Only God could take your enemy and make him a brother. And I'm glad for that. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. I I like that. I just think, wow. But that was the wisdom from God to another person who would go and bring that to Saul. Saul didn't have a plan yet either in that whole part of it. Well, God's plan is different. It's a declared plan. It's not a blind leap in the, in the dark, as some people think faith is. It isn't. It is borne out with evidence and with, with also history that is, we see in, through others and ourselves. And then it is distinct. It is different. When you think about God's plan for the nations, and look what it says. We'll read verses 15 to 23. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He he didn't stop and say, well, that's a weird dream. He said, it's of God, and he worshipped. Do those moments drive you to your knees, on your face before God, when he reveals something to you? Gideon did. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hands. And we knew that even from the previous chapter and from the previous verses early on. And then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. And when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And when the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for the blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. And when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Bethacacia toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel-Mahola by Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. You, you see this victory that takes place. But it's a very distinct plan, isn't it? God tells Gideon, this is what you're to do. He goes down and he does it. And 
uh, we have to also understand that sometimes the things we can do are uh, not the same thing others can do, right? Gideon was unique. As I said, there's no other military conquest anywhere that I've ever found in history that even comes close to this. But God was going to do it. Uh, Sometimes I think of that in the context of missions and missionaries. It was William Carey, who's often called the father of modern missions, because he was part of a idea of a wave of missionaries who would go out in the late 1700s into the 1800s and they would go out what we call faith missions people would help support them in that in that case out of great britain and they would go off to places like india he was seven years in india before he saw one convert and it wasn't and, and Kerry came to this conclusion finally it wasn't through his preaching people would be converted It was through his meticulous gift of languages that they would come to be converted. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He took and learned the languages of the Indian people and he began to translate not only their own scriptures, the Vedas and other things, into their own language so that they could understand what they said and what they didn't say. But he then turned and translated the Bible. By the time William Carey was done his ministry as God would call him home eventually some four decades later he had started I think three universities he had been instrumental in I think five or six if I remember correct uh, different translations or parts of translations of the word of God he was instrumental in uh, like tens of different translation works that were important and to this day William Carey is the only non-Indian that was ever memorialized on a postage stamp. Think about that in India because he was so instrumental in what they call bringing their renaissance to them and enlightening them through the word of God. Think about that. Rich history. But William Carey wasn't his preaching or his evangelism or his, his outreach that way. It was through his translation work. God would use him. And he would bring others to fill the other gaps. God had a plan for Gideon. Quickly, I'll move along here. It was, we see the reality of the plan, but we see the requirement of the plan. There was a requirement. The first part of the requirement, by the way, was that it required him to surrender. You say, what? To be victorious, you had to surrender, and that's exactly what he had to do. Gideon had to go from looking out at this crowd of 32,000 warriors and realizing he's in charge of those to realizing now, no, he's down to 300 men, and that was manageable for Gideon because he had to rely more on God at that point. He had to understand that he had to go from that idea of a commander down to a barley loaf. before he could be a great leader. Really, that's it. Then God asked him to do some, some different things. Now, you find that not only did Gideon have to surrender, but he had to submit to the will of God and the plan of God, and his people did too. His people did too. We read earlier, I won't read it again, but you, to, for God's plan to succeed, Gideon had to submit to it, And he went from, he watched when 22,000 men and turned and and went home. And and then 9,700 men 
went and turned and went home. And he was left with 300. Sometimes hard to submit to God in things, especially when it doesn't make any human sense. It just doesn't make sense. But God is a God who will bring it together in his plan as he does it. And it also required a steadiness. A steadiness about him. You see, sometimes it's the idea of resting in faith or resting in the promises of God. And that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? I wish that we could just submit to God and that was enough. But no, God wants us to master that life of faith and trust and rest in that. And that's not always easy. And when the doubts arise or the difficulties arise, sometimes we just... We want to cash it in. Don't do that. He is marvelous in his way to uphold us. And a steady resolve, or as the Bible uses the word steadfastness, that's what is uh, part of it. Now, I like what, um, what is it, 1 Corinthians 15. It's quoted on, the, on your bulletin right here. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That steadfastness is part of what we're to do. And that pre- the preceding verses of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians deals with the resurrection. In light of the resurrection of Christ, you and I can be steadfast in our resolve. And we can abound in the work of the Lord. I love that. I'm so thankful for that. I've told Liz this morning... My wife, actually, she says, Al Morno. Al, and I'm making, I don't want to, you know, don't tell him I'm speaking good about him. But anyways, she says, I always think of that verse when I see Al. Because he's steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, he's not perfect, I know that. But he is one of those guys, if I call and say, Al, I need help doing this, he's there. If, and you know that, too. If you've ever had, I think he's probably moved everybody in this church at least once, Right? You know, and he's like that. Today he's in Allagash, all right, preaching. And I, we prayed for him this morning. And I'm thankful for a man who is like that and others that are like that. Are you like that? Are you always abounding in the work of the Lord? It may not be preaching. It may not be something public. It may just be helping, doing things. And Geesier being up early this morning before I got here, and he's out there cooking right now so we can eat after this. And that reminds us, almost lunchtime. I know, I'm moving. It requires a steadfastness in that. And then the last part of that is the reality of God's plan. Or the results, excuse me. The results of the plan. The results are pretty simple. The enemy was vanquished. It was by unconventional means. Here they are, these men, they're gathered around the encircled camp of Midian. Everybody else except for the guards of of Midian are just sleeping away in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, the trumpets blow. And the shout goes up from 300 men, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And of course, they break their, their pitchers of clay vessels. And the light from the lamps that were in them shines forth. I think there's a picture there of how God uses very weak things to shine forth his light and to sound forth his message. Every single one of those clay vessels, that those pitchers, as they were broken, they were useful to show the light of God 
and the sword of Gideon, right? I'm glad for that. And by the way, he can use you when you get this clay vessel out of the way. The, the heart of flesh that so easily just entangles us with everything else but him. And we stop and we say, Lord, I want this, this vessel to be a broken vessel that's useful to you. As Jesus said, that you might be a light that is set on a hill, right? It cannot be hid. Shines forth his glory in that. And God's people are victorious. We read that in verse 23. They submitted to God and his plan and the enemy ran. Who would have thought that would happen? I mean, these men should have stayed in fight. And one thing I've learned is this. Sometimes to defeat evil, all you have to do is stand up and evil flees. The reality is that there are people who just don't ever stand up to it. They often talk about that in the context of, um, sadly, you know, things like mass shootings and those kind of things. Often it just takes one person to stand up against it and it stops. In this case, it was 300 and it was Gideon. And they stopped and, and Midian ran. Their hearts were filled with fear. They didn't know what they'd gotten into. And I'll just say this, you be the person that's willing to stand up in the face of evil and say, no, I'm not crossing that line and you're not crossing this line without a fight. That's the way it is. And then lastly, God's name is venerated. You see, when they were victorious, it wasn't about them. And that's why God dwindled it down to 300 because he told Gideon that. He said, if you go into battle... 32,000 men, you're going to say you did it. And Israel did it. But if you go in with 300, there's no glory except the glory that God gives. And you know, that's the way God is. You see, I, I truly believe that the cross of Christ, which is, you know, the, the emblem of death and suffering and pain and all the things that went on at, at the cross really reflect that because that's what sin has done to all of us. It's caused us great pain, anguish, suffering, and ultimately death. And God through death would be victorious and that we would not glory, as Paul says, in anything except the cross. God's instrument of victory would be the very instrument that would bring about the death of his son but it wasn't death that held him and the grave couldn't hold him and he rose again victorious over death and I'm thankful for that and no one can glory in anything but that if Christ had come and he would have just conquered the nations right away and set up his kingdom and all of those things I suppose that's what the disciples wanted initially they actually thought that right up almost to the end that he was going to bring in a kingdom now. His kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. And, and it isn't yet fulfilled here on earth. That's a, at the second coming of Christ. But I will say this. The glory of the Lord shines forth from the act that occurred on the cross. Like none other. And his name is big. Not ours. His name is to be venerated. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, I quoted this. 
Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God's plan is singular. He doesn't have multiple plans for salvation. He might have a different plan for your life in the context of that, how it's ordered and those things. But for salvation, there's just one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby or by which we must be saved. Right? He's the only way. Do you know him? It is through the humility of Christ at the cross that death was conquered. And it was through the resurrection that victory was secured. And Gideon is a picture of all of that. Really a picture of the gospel. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Are you following him? Or are you still relying on the tens of thousands of other ways that you can stand in this world, but you're destined to fail if you do it on your own? Instead, trust him. Let's pray. God, we are grateful, thankful that you have the best plan for our life. That, Lord... You have the best plan for us leaving this life, which is through Jesus Christ, our Savior, where we go into a place far better, far greater, where there will never be another evil thing, another evil act, no other sin, nothing, Lord, but glory in the Lord yourself. We look forward to that time, O God. Help us to be men and women and boys and girls of courage in these days to stand firm, to shine forth the light of the gospel. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.